this month, as we're starting a new weekly worship gathering rhythm, uh, we thought it would be good to go back to our roots and remember who we are. Uh, we want to start with why. Instead of starting with how or with what, we want to start with why. Why do we do what we do? Why do we take on a certain posture in the world? What are our motivations and values? And many of us are thinking about similar things personally. It's the beginning of a year. It's, good. it's a common time to make goals or resolutions or good thoughts or feelings or none of the above, whatever is your style. Um, but we're asking, what's this year going to be like? Uh, what will uh, drive me to do what I do? How can I follow Jesus faithfully in my family and my work? And it's probably good to start with why, personally as well. And so we're discussing six motivations. Last week we started with the motivation around intimacy with God. And in the coming weeks we'll discuss the rest of them about what drive us to do what we do as a community, drive us personally as followers of Jesus in our workplaces, and in our neighborhoods. And today's motivation is we are family. Just like the Sister Sledge song. I would sing it for you, but my voice is struggling. That's the only reason, I promise. Uh, A couple months ago, beginning of November, I went to visit Lowell. Most everybody knows Lowell. Yeah. Uh, Lowell has been a part of storyline for a long, long time. And we met him probably in our first year of starting, summer of 2008. Um, and man, uh, Lowell's taught us so much about God. And Lowell's baptized in the storyline community. Uh, he, he gave up his past life in the, the storyline community. Uh, and today... Lowell is, he finds himself in jail and he's been there, he's been there for a long time now and it had been, it been several months, uh, it, better part of a year since I had interacted with him like either through the little video service the jail has or, um, or through a visit and so I wanted to go see him and part of the reason it's been so long is that like it's an ordeal, it's like at least a half day affair to go and visit somebody in jail. Uh, it's down west of downtown. Um, so you trek down there and it's off Commerce. And um, there are these massive, behind this huge uh, office building, kind of high-rise looking thing, there's these massive, uh, completely brick building towers. Um, no windows. And you can see, if you look closely enough through the walkways, you can see um, the barbed wire on, on fences. But mainly, it's just a massive brick building. It's, you know, loose stairs. I mean, it's meant, for the most part, as a short-term holding cell, um, either, either for temporary hold or until you're transitioned to a prison somewhere else. Right across the street from these massive buildings is... Uh, what seems like a parking lot that's like a, a half a mile deep. Um, you drive in and, and you pay. For a long time it was just cash. And hypothetically it was very inconvenient to forget cash and have to turn around and go back. You know, not that that 
ever happened to me several times. Uh, so you pay, you go in, and you drive all, I mean, it's, you have to drive all the way down to the end to find some open spots. It's, it's way better on the weekends. During the week, it's nuts. Uh, Sunday afternoon is like the family visit time. So you park, and you get out, and, and most of the time, when I, when I get out to go and walk um, toward the jail, I can see other people, especially if it's on the weekend, most everybody else that's getting out of their cars in that parking lot is going there too. And so you, you see um, kids are welcome on the weekends. You see families getting out of their cars, you know, little kids to go see their daddies or their mommies or um, women, wives going to see their husbands, husbands going to see their wives, um, mothers going to see their sons, people just kind of filing in toward these massive brick buildings. Um, and it's kind of a ritual. You all wait. I think it's on commerce. You wait at the stoplight together and kind of collect. I mean, all different kinds of people. And you just find yourself wondering, what are the stories of the people who are here uh, waiting to cross the street? And it really is like a pilgrimage of sorts. I mean, it's a long walk. And you're walking up this long uh, cement walkway in between these massive buildings kind of in the shadow of this this huge structure and then you enter in and uh there's a there's a kind of a waiting room and uh, a bunch of pews almost like at an old-fashioned church where people where people would wait to receive belongings that their loved ones have put on hold for them uh if you're there to visit somebody you know what you're doing you know the room the, that waiting area the, the ceilings are really really high maybe 20 or 30 feet high. Um, but as you wind around, um, it's like it starts to telescope smaller and smaller. The hallways get smaller and smaller, and you're walking around and, and you're snaking through um, these hallways and you're looking for your particular tower. And, and the, there, there becomes more and more cinder block, you know, monochromatic, you know, on, beige only painted. And you, you really start to feel like you're, you know, closed in. You get to the, the check-in. You go through the, um, the X-ray, X-ray, metal detector, metal detector. <laughs> uh, and you have to sign in. You have to present, huh? Sometimes they swan you. Uh, they wand you. Yeah. So sometimes you have to, you just go through the, the tower, the arch, or whatever. You have to write down, you know, your name and your you can't take a cell phone with you. If you take a cell phone, you have to walk all the way back out to the car. Hypothetically, if that had ever happened to you, you have to walk all the way back out to the car, put it there and then come back. Um, You can't have really anything on you except your ID. Um, You can have your cards or whatever, but nothing that would set off um, the metal detector. So you you present them. You also have to have their inmate number, which it, there, nobody tells you that before you get there. So if you don't have that, you have to go all the way back to the front, to the waiting area, stand in line and say, um, yes, I need this inmate number. Oh, and so you get that on your form and then go back and submit it to them. They're like, OK, you're you're free to pass through. And then it starts to clamp down on you again. It really starts to feel like a jail or a prison at that point. You start to see bars. You start to see the mirror, the glass, uh, 
um, doors and walls, um, and you walk through to this like a little cubicle that's made out of um, all like all glass at the bottom, cinder block at the uh, uh, glass at the top, cinder block at the bottom, and there are guards like at the station, and there's like a teller window, like if you go to the bank or something, you have to put your form under there again. And most of the time, the windows are covered, so you can't see anybody back there. Like it's, you start to feel kind of isolated, um, and you know, like wow, I'm like deep in the the belly of something here. And you can, you only kind of listen for their voices. They're like, okay, go to the fourth floor, and they give you your sheet back, and the elevators are right there. And um, it's really at the point of the elevators when the elevators open. I begin to wonder to myself. Um, you know, if um, if somebody mistakes me as a prison as a prisoner, I could get stuck in here forever, and like nobody would ever know. I never, no, I could never get out because like I'm past all of these security checkpoints by this point. Not good to be claustrophobic in one of these environments. Um, you go up the elevators, you find another cubicle guard station, and you submit your paperwork one more time, and you can't see anybody. If you're lucky, there's like a mirror at the very top that kind of you can triangulate and see if there's even an officer or a guard in there at all to look at your sheet. Sometimes nobody's in there. You just wait. And they say, well, when somebody finally comes, they say, well, uh, go to stall A1 or something. And they give you your sheet back and go around and snake through here and Finally, you see those stalls from TV or the movies where, you know, it's glass in the middle and there's a dingy phone on one side and you just sit down and you wait. Uh, And so I sat down and I waited and I waited maybe 10 minutes. They're going to get Lowell. And then finally around the corner, a guard comes with Lowell and he comes and he sits down and, you know, you just want to hug him. But there's the glass, you know, so you kind of. You know, place your hand and just high five across the glass and um, uh, and sit down and you have a conversation through um, through the phone. And, you know, we talked about so many things. Lowell looks so good. Uh, he get he's gained 30 pounds, um, which he was malnourished and super skinny before he went in. And he looks so good and filled out like normal, healthy. I was so amazed and he he seems so happy and well adjusted um, like it's it's been good for him to recalibrate. We talked for a long time and um, even even amidst his good spirits, I could tell that he seemed really, really lonely, Um, like like he was hungry for the human connection that he was receiving in this moment. Uh, and, and I asked him, it dawned on me to ask him, you know, hey, has your family checked in on you? I know you don't have a good relationship with your brother or with your dad, but like, has anybody come and visit you? No. Nobody. And this was the one year mark for him to be in that jail. And nobody else had visited him. And I, as I was leaving in the shadow of those big buildings... Uh, it, it kind of dawned on me and really hit and sunk in with me for Lowell um, that we're his family. You know, we are we are literally all he has. 
when it comes to people who care about him and love him. Uh, and because of our because of our connection in Christ, um, he's our brother, and we're his brothers and sisters. And there is some sense of debt or obligation or or bond that we have that keeps us from just forgetting him while he's in jail Um, because he's our family and we're his family in Christ reminds me of the words of family man and theologian Dominic Toretto (laughs) played by Vin Diesel in the Fast and Furious movie series what's real is family your family hold on to that that was for Sarah Walker Our our text for today is uh, from the Hebrews letter. And we know it's written to to Jewish folks who had become Christian because it's chock full of all of these references to uh, the Old Testament, to the Hebrew Bible, um, to the sacrificial system that they would have been oh so familiar with. And um, what's happening in this community that Hebrews is addressing um, is they're they're falling apart, they're disintegrating, um, they they are they're falling away from each other under the intense pressure of persecution and suffering, and so Hebrews is writing them to encourage them to keep on, to re- remind them who they are and why they're doing this, what's driving them really. Uh, so I want to visit this text again. And um, this is the part where you can help me. Um, Chapter 2 of Hebrews, verses 10 through 15. Um, Would somebody read that again? And I'd like for the rest of you to to be thinking, because I'd like for you to respond, about what this passage says about God and about us. Chapter 2, 10 through 15. Correct. It only makes sense that God, by whom and for whom everything exists, would choose to bring many of us to his side by using suffering to perfect Jesus, the founder of our faith, the pioneer of our salvation. I will show you it's important that the one who brings us to God and those who are brought to God become one, since we are all from one Father. This is why Jesus was not ashamed to call us his family. Saying in the words of the psalmist, I will speak your name to my brothers and sisters when I praise you in the midst of the community. And, in the words of Isaiah, I will wait for the Eternal One. And again, look, here I am with the children God has given me. Since we, the children, are all creatures of flesh and blood, Jesus took on flesh and blood, so that by dying he dying, he could destroy the one who held power over death, the devil, and destroy the fear of death that has always held people captive. What does this passage say about God and about us? For me, what just keeps on hammering is that Jesus is not ashamed Hmm. Um, and what this is going to ask them, like all, we are family, 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. There's something in the version you read to your voice uh, that at home, like Jesus was willing to suffer for the sake of bringing us into the family. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Not ashamed. Yep. That imagery that you see when your big brother comes up to you and says, This is my kid. I love him. I mean, do we really think of a point like that? This is someone that I'm proud to call my brother or my sister. I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm struck by 14 about. How he shared in our humanity, you know that that Jesus invites us into God's family. Um, uh, not expecting us first to become like him before he's become like us. Um, that's how not ashamed. Jesus is so not ashamed for us to be his family, that he takes on human form. He becomes just like us. He shares in our humanity. Uh, Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, what I see happening in this text is that God sweeps us up into his divine family, the family of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the culture of that family is love. Um, in this family, unlike other families that we might have experienced, um, we are deeply loved and cared for. And it also means that we have brothers and sisters to care for and deeply love as well. There are social implications to being swept up into the divine family. Uh, it means it's not possible to believe in and follow Jesus without becoming part of his family. 
This is not just a universal spiritual truth as in I'm part of God's family throughout the world and time, the universal church, without ever having any really uh, daily personal expect, uh, connection or knowledge of my family members. Um, it is a local, up-close and personal experience. It's a bond with a real group of people. Uh, and this idea cuts against the cultural grain of church as voluntary association of individuals where we can opt in or out at any time, where we can switch churches whenever we don't like the programming or worship style or leadership decisions because in the kingdom we're not individual consumers. We are members of the divine family. The formation of a spiritual family is not just window dressing. It is the way Jesus is healing the world. I think storyline is pretty good uh, at family. Uh, maybe we have our moments when we drop the ball. Uh, better stated, I feel like I have moments where I drop the ball in being a good family member, and you all are teaching me what it means to really be family. Um, I've always sensed that the inn was our strongest suit. Uh, we're built for it, after all, right? We're focused on cultivating smaller, extended family-like groups that we call missional communities because we want to live out this family dynamic together. And that's not going away. That's not going to stop because we're starting a weekly worship gathering. Uh, I think it's reflected in the way that we partner together. And the reason that we get so ceremonial when someone joins the family officially Uh, Because this isn't some light, trivial connection that we're talking about. It's kind of like a marriage ceremony. We become family. We we covenant to each other, commit to each other to be there in thick and thin, yeah? I see it most in our practice of communion. Uh, Last time when we were here, we're facing the the mirror, and we're all kind of cuddled up in here, kind of in two-thirds of the room. And it was the first time at a worship gathering in quite some time where our kids were with us. You know, I know they've been with us in missional community, in communion for a long time. But like to have the kids in there, there's this buzz in the room and, and you can hear people chatting and sharing Thanksgiving. And it's, it just feels like here we are together at the family meal with Jesus as our host uh, in, this, in the great divine family. And all our differences are brought into unity At the table, rich and poor, black or brown or white, female and male, gay and stray, gay and straight, Republican, Democrat, child, adult. The table reminds us that Jesus makes his family. That our connection, our familial bond in Christ supersedes the distinctions that we might have in this world. What about you? How have you seen Storyline reflect the life of of the divine family. For me, uh, I see it like with the, the women in our huddle. Um, like this past fall has been a very difficult season for me um, with anxiety and depression. And I've reached out for help countless times to our huddle group. I just think of one morning I was having a really tough morning. It's like not even 8 o'clock, and I just went out 
out a group into a girl and their home responding was like, hey, I'm coming over, I'll be there in two minutes, you know. I'm like in my pajamas, just awoke, haven't even gotten out of breakfast, and like, like, you don't do that with a casual acquaintance. Like, that's something where, like, with family, you can be really real and be like, hey, I'm struggling. And they're like, it's okay, we're here with you, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Thank you. Beautiful. Praise God for that. Yeah, fam- family cares for each other, right? We we go out of our way um, for family to take care of each other. Um, I've got a, I've got a story yeah, thank about you. Something that happened one time at, with church. <coughs> my partner David had his accident, and he was in the hospital. And I mean, he was really had had a psychotic break from reality with the, the brain injury. And he was fighting all the nurses, spitting at them, just in a horrible situation. And then Julie Kaiser came in the room. And she fed him ice cream. And he calmed down. seven weeks I've had horrible illness issues and uh, the people in this room by evening I have done about it. We brought over some, some things to help me food and other kind of medicines and uh, they kept track with me. My biological father is in Hawaii and my brother is in St. Louis and they know just a tiny bit about it. But people here know a lot about it, but very uh, supportive and loved and loved. And uh, we come from a teeny tiny family, of one brother, and this is like a, an oasis for me to have so many friends. Hmm. Right on. Thank you, John. Um, well, there was a season of a couple of years. Uh, three or four or five years ago, I remember showing up at my biological family's get-togethers, um, like at my brother's house or my parents' house. I have their houses, their old houses now in my mind. And I'd show up, and this thing would happen pretty consistently. And it it's a reflection of the kind of people that are in my family. There would be these other people there, that I was not related to. 
And I'm going I'm to be honest with you and say there were not pretty things in my heart initially when I encountered all these other people um, selfishly. Um, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the people, work, and business. I am an extrovert, but I get tired, too, you know, thinking I'm going to go and just let my guard down or whatever. And I see all these folks, and I'm thinking, God have mercy. Who are these people? What in the hell are they doing here? I do not know these people. I don't want to know these people. They are not my family. I don't want, I'm, I'm not going to go over there. I'm not going to introduce myself. I'm going to get my food and I'm going to go sit over there at the table. I'm going to talk to people I know. I'm going to relax. I don't want to get to know anybody new. This is, this is not, they are not my family. Lord have mercy. Uh, you know, God. And I just, a, a couple of holiday occasions, I would just know, like Easter, like there's going to be somebody else there. I'm not going to know them. You know, of course. It's my parents or my brother and sister reaching out to somebody who doesn't have family. The same way that we would do, right, and have done. But I know them, right? I don't know those people. I don't want to get to know those people. And I I think that those dynamics kind of reveal, um, they reveal a possible, a temptation of family. I'm starting to get this cramp in my side. Um They reveal a temptation of family. It's the Lord. He's kicking in. Um, And that that temptation is uh, is the the temptation of ingrownness or um, toxic kind of inwardness um, where where we get fooled into thinking that 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 family is kind of a closed system, um, that it's not open to others. Man, that was I'm so embarrassed that I've never felt that way. Um, And it's the reason why an article I read recently on church leadership, they were advising people like in your in your gatherings, don't talk about church as family because people will feel left out because people will not feel like they are part of the family. And you know what? That, That can be true when family is tight knit. That, that, that maybe maybe someone else could well up with that kind of feeling that I did in that moment. Like, I really enjoy the relationships that I have here. I, I enjoy the family we have. I'm not really interested in anybody else kind of joining. I don't want to know your name. Thank you. I, not, I come here. I came here to take a load off. Um, but but I think it's that's the reason it's all the more important to remember God's intentions for our families. Both for our biological families and our spiritual families, uh, they aren't meant to exist for themselves. Family of Abraham, right? Did the family of Abraham, Genesis 12, did God bless Abraham with all those children, all that lineage, as much of the sand as for the, you know, all the sand in the sea, just so they could have a nice, sweet family to themselves? No. It was so they could be an instrument to blessing to the whole world. Here's the deal. God's family is always actively seeking to adopt new people into the family because that's where it's all headed. That is the eschatological trajectory. That's a big word. You're going to learn it today. Eschatological trajectory. Eschaton is from the Greek word for last or end. Eschatology is the study of what's going to happen in the end of the world. So to say eschatological trajectory, that is to say, where is everything headed? What's the end 
How do, if we're starting with the end, what's the end? Here's the end. The church is the divine family that the world is becoming. They just don't know it yet. Yeah? The church is the divine family that the world is becoming. They just don't know it yet. The picture of where we're headed is all of the world being wrapped up into God's family. Becoming part of the family. The, the, the family is permeable. The family has, uh, is always adopting new members. That's why a primary metaphor for family in the New Testament is adoption. Like you can get in. You can receive adoption into sonship or daughterhood through the Spirit of God and belief in Jesus Christ. And that's available to everybody. The church is the divine family that the world is becoming. It just doesn't know it yet. Hear the good news. Because of Jesus, we are swept up into the divine family where we experience God's love as beloved children. We extend God's love to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we actively make room around the table for new family members to join in. Can you enter into that? Can you receive that? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we're going to have time to respond in prayer together. Uh, Open mic prayer, prayers of the people. If you've got a prayer on your heart that you want to share or pray about, the mic is open for you for the next several minutes. If it's something in response to the message this morning, if it's something about the family this morning, if it's something about our neighbors or friends or our city, whatever you uh, have to pray about, the mic is open.